Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Larry Walters had always dreamed of flying. It was his childhood ambition when he was little. It was his one goal to grow up and be a pilot in the United States Air Force. And so when he graduated high school, he enlisted, and he went to the Air Force to begin the testing. And at a certain point, he stopped because they said, we're sorry to tell you this, but your eyesight is not good enough. You're never going to be a pilot. Kind of broke his heart. The dream died of being an Air Force pilot, but somewhere within him, he still had this rising up. I want to fly. I need to fly. Well, as life went on, he got a job um, outside of his home area in LA for a movie studio. He drove a delivery truck. And so he spent time doing that. But when he was 33 years old, he just couldn't kick this dream inside of him to fly. So he started going around to different army surplus stores and buying up weather balloons. He bought 45 eight-foot weather balloons. Now, he needed the helium to fill these weather balloons for his dream, so he forged paperwork from the movie studio, and he took it to these places that sold helium, and he was like, yeah, we're shooting this big commercial. We're going to need everything you got. So he started gathering all of this helium in his delivery truck, and then in July, he started his plan. And actually, July 2nd, in his backyard, he filled up 45 weather balloons with helium, He strapped a parachute to his back, and he strapped himself into his wonderful new flying contraption. Now, I have a picture of it for you. Um, He strapped himself to a lawn chair because he thought that would be the best mode of transportation. So if you can picture him in the backyard, here he is, and he has all the essentials with him. He's got his camera to take good pictures. He has a CB radio. He's got sandwiches. He's got some cold beer that maybe he dipped into a little bit earlier. (laughs) And he's got a pellet gun. Now, he has a pellet gun so that he can shoot the balloons when it's time to descend, right? So here he is. He's all set, and uh, he's about ready to cut. Now, his plan is he's just going to kind of lazily float over the neighborhood. He's just going to float around. He's going to see. He's going to take some pictures, shoot some balloons, and land safely. This is his plan. But he cuts the ropes loose, and boom, shoots up immediately 16,000 feet, straight up, and his glasses fly off in the ascent. So he's got that going for him. Now, he's absolutely petrified. He, He can't even move because he's afraid to upset the delicate balance that is the lawn chair, and so he's like, and he can't move. Now, what happens is, as he's up in the air, this current catches him, and it starts to push him towards, of all places, the airport. So he ends up in the landing pattern of the airport. Now, pilots are calling this into the tower. Uh, Yeah, it seems that there's a lot of balloons and a guy in a chair. And the tower's like, come again. And all these planes are, uh, yeah, I think I see that too. There's a guy, and I don't even know, and there's balloons. We need to do something. So they had to divert all of the airplanes. They couldn't land. They had to go to other airports. Now, eventually, Larry feels like, I have to get down from here. So he pulls out his pellet gun, and he shoots one or two of the balloons, but then he drops the gun. Because <laughs> 16,000 feet down, bye-bye pellet gun. So he's clutching, clutching on for dear life, no glasses, but eventually, he begins to descend. Eventually, you know, the balloons that have popped and and the helium is fading a little bit. He he comes down. Now, when he comes down, he sees that there are people waiting for him, the police being some of those people. (laughs) 
but kind of his last act of defiance is he, he gets hung up in power lines and causes a blackout for the neighborhood that he's in. So when he gets down, the police are there and, and they can't believe it and they want to come and arrest him, but they don't know what to arrest him for. They're like, you're under arrest. And he's like, why? And they're like, because. You can't do that. So they try and take his pilot's license, right? But he doesn't have a pilot's license. And eventually he gets fined $1,500 for being in restricted airspace. That's what the fine was. Now, when the media caught hold of the story, they came to him and they said, Larry, why would you choose to do this? And here's, here's his response. A man can't just sit around. That's his reasoning. Now, the reason I bring that story up is to, to ask you, what are you doing with your lives, people? There's adventure to be had out there. And no, no, the reason that I bring that up is, is because think about what, what would bring him to this point where he would choose to go up in this contraption of his, right? Why would he make that choice? And if you think about it, the choice w wasn't just him in the lawn chair cutting himself loose. That wasn't the bad decision that he made, right? Th there was a whole series of bad decisions that led up to this one decision. It wasn't just one thing. And it's kind of the same way for us. It's not really just one or two choices that set the course for our entire lives. It's choices that we make every day all along the way that point us in a certain direction. And so how do we make better choices? How do we take those things that happen day in and day out and choose wisely things that point us to Jesus instead of allowing us to drift off into restricted airspace? How do we make better decisions? And so that's what we're going to talk about over the upcoming months. We're beginning a new series called Choices. And we're going to look at the books of First and Second Samuel. Now, First and Second Samuel is great narrative. There's so many things in there, so many stories that we are familiar with, all of these beloved people of the Old Testament. And we will look at Hannah, and we'll look at Samuel, and we'll look at Saul and David and so many others. And we're going to look at the choices that they made. Because each and every one of them made choices that pushed them in a certain direction. Now, as we read this narrative as well, we'll find out that there are things that happened to them that they had no choice over. And so it's not just the choices that these people made, but it's also how they chose to respond to things that they had no control over. It's the same way with us, right? That we live in this tension between the sovereignty of God and the choices that we make. And the tension is this, it's which one of these matters more? Which one of these carries weight? Well, yeah, God, he's in control. But then does that mean my choices don't matter? Do my choices matter? Is God in control? And so there is a tension that we live in. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. It says this, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So it's saying you can, you can make plans. You can choose to head in the right direction. And when you make good choices, it says, you know, good things will happen to you. But if you choose wrong, if you choose shortcuts, then you're probably going to go off the path. Your choices matter. But then look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Right? 
that God's in the details. I mean, God's in the little things. God's in control of everything. So, so what is it? Do, do my choices matter? Do I get to choose or does God get to choose everything? Which one is it? Is it an either or? Because sometimes I think we weight certain things at certain times in our lives differently. Sometimes we, I think we go along with that great theologian, uh, Doc, from Back to the Future. Remember that theologian? In the last movie, here's what he said. He said, your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. This idea of you get to choose your future and it's whatever you make it, do it well. And we go, yes, we are rugged Americans. That's what we believe. But wait, God's in charge. So is my future, so which one is it? And, and what if it's both? And what if it's not just 50-50 both, but what if it's 100% both? We don't have categories for that, but let's think about it this way. Think about if your entire future, your destiny was shaped solely by your own choices. Tim Keller says this. If you believe there is a total connection between your destiny and your choices, you won't get out of bed in the morning, right? He's saying that if it's just up to you to decide everything in your life, that's a scary world, right? I mean, think about when you were a teenager. That's a scary world. Some of you married your high school sweethearts. That's great. I'll never let you tell that story in youth group, but that's great. Good for you. (laughs) Super excited. But I feel like for most people, if you look back at the person that you were dating in high school and you go, oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't get to make that choice, (laughs) right? If you lived in that world, it would be a mess. We would be off track so much. So it's not like, oh, yeah, my choices are the only thing that matters. Now, if you take it maybe to the other extreme, maybe we'd say, well, then God's in control. None of my choices matter. You wouldn't want to live in that world either because you would just live like you wanted to for a certain amount of time and then you'd just check out. It wouldn't matter. Nothing I do matters. And so maybe then it's something in between. Maybe it's like a 50-50, like sometimes they really matter and sometimes they don't matter at all, but I'm never really sure which one is which and which one's a bigger decision that matters. And so so we can't live in that 50-50 world either. So all of our choices are important. All of the choices that we make matter, and yet God is still, he is still 100% in control. Because we wouldn't want to live in a world where God was only 99% in control. We wouldn't want that either. So we live in this tension. We've got, God is sovereign. He is in control, and my choices matter all the time. The things that I choose matter. Because there are things that we choose that shape us in big and in small ways. We can choose what we eat for dinner. We can choose dating. You can choose vacations and vocations. You can choose what you drive. You can choose where to live. You can choose what college football team to cheer for or cheer against. You can choose to remember that college football is still just a game played by 20-year-olds and the rankings don't determine the direction of your life. You know who you are. You know it's been a rough week. (laughs) Right? Choices. Choices, it's an amazing gift. And there are things that you choose that shape your life in big and small ways. But there are things that you don't choose 
that shape your life in big and small ways. You, you don't choose your parents. You don't choose your brothers or sisters. You don't choose the body that you're born with. You don't choose oftentimes what other people say about you. You don't choose the media that's out there. You don't choose the messages that come your way. You don't choose when you lose a job. You don't choose when you get sick. Now you choose how you respond to those things. You choose how you interact to those things, but those things shape your life in a way oftentimes that you don't choose. Here's another thing, interestingly enough, that we don't choose. We can't choose to be spiritual. Here's what Dallas Willard says. Spiritual is not just something we ought to be, it's something we are and cannot escape. Regardless of how we may think or feel about it, it is our nature and destiny. And sometimes we probably catch ourselves saying things like, oh, I just need to work on my spiritual life, or I need to be more spiritual. The reality is, I need to work on my life life. I need to live better. I need to choose wiser. And so as we step into this series and we talk about, okay, there's things that I can't choose that God is just in control of and I choose how to react. And then there's my decisions matter, my choices matter. But as we talk about that, we want to talk about that on the level that really matters, on the spiritual level, on the level that is our life. And before we jump into the narrative, I just want to give you a little bit of background on First and Second Samuel. First and Second Samuel kind of throws us into uh, the middle of the story of Israel. And so let's go back a little bit so we know where it is that we're going. Take a look at this timeline here. Now, you've got Abraham and then uh, Moses. The nation of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God raises up Moses to rescue them, to deliver them. And so Moses goes, and you know that there's Pharaoh and the plagues, and let my people go, and all that kind of stuff that, that have, he sang to Pharaoh just like that. And, and so then we had the exodus from Egypt. God delivered them. And as they walked through the Red Sea, they were mighty in number, but they were weak in so many other ways. You see, they didn't know what it was to live as a free nation. They had been enslaved for so long that they had no idea what it was like to be a people. They didn't have any national laws. They didn't have a national government or leadership. They didn't have all of these rules yet. God had given them Moses to be their leader, but God also gave them the rules for life and rules for how to relate to him and rules for how to relate to each other. And so as God gave them those rules, he said, you're going to be different. I'm going to call you out. You're going to be my people, and my name will be spread everywhere through you. So they marched to the promised land, and when they got to the promised land, they doubted God. They didn't trust that he was big enough to deliver on his promise. And so God turned them back around, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, we find that Joshua is now in charge. Moses does not enter the promised land. And Joshua leads the nation into the promised land, mostly on this kind of military conquest. And it, everything goes really well, but eventually kind of the military campaign dies down, and the nation of Israel begins to settle among the people of the land. And the more that they settle among the people of the land, the more that they adopt the customs of those people. And the more that they adopt the customs of those people, the more that they forget God. And the more that they forgot God, the worse off things became for them. And so there begins this cycle then, and it's the period of the judges. 
And there's just some great stories in Judges. It, it starts with Ehud. And if you've never read the story of Ehud, it's amazing. You should read it. It's like an episode of 24. You should read that one. And then there's Deborah. She's amazing. And Gideon and Samson and, and Samuel. And if there was a theme for the book of Judges, it would be everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because here's what would happen. The, the people would go along with the customs of the nations around them, and they would just sink to a place where they were so desperate, they'd finally call out to God. They'd repent, and God would send a judge to get them through this particular circumstance. And then when they were through that circumstance and they were closer to God, they'd kind of sink back down into the customs and forget him again. And then they'd repent and call out to him again, and he'd send another judge to get them through that particular circumstance. And so their lives look like this, kind of familiar, right? A little bit how we live sometimes. And so when we get to the end of the book of Judges, we're coming to Samuel. Now, Samuel is a prophet, but he's the last of the judges. Because the people begin crying out. They, they want a king. First Samuel chapter 8, their cry is this. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So they were going from this theocracy where God said, I will be your ruler. Trust me to this monarchy where they said, no, we want a man. We want somebody that we can see in charge of who we are. And so the book of 1 Samuel opens up with Samuel being born, and then he anoints the first two kings of Israel, both Saul and David. And we're going to take a look this morning just briefly at two quick stories in the lives of Saul and David. And these stories kind of give us some insight into their character throughout the rest of the series and how they chose to follow, how they made big decisions in their lives. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you want to turn there, if you want to grab one out of the pew there, it's on page 458. Samuel has anointed Saul as the king, and uh, God's got some stuff for Saul to do. So if you look at verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts. He's going to settle accounts with this nation that keeps giving Israel trouble. And Samuel says, Saul, here's what you need to do. You need to go in and you need to conquer. And by conquer, I mean you need to get rid of them. They keep dragging you down. They keep coming against you. And so you need to get rid of them all of them, and all their stuff, all the animals, all the sheep and goats and cattle and everything. It just needs to be gone. Don't keep any of it. And so Saul says, great, got it. That's the message. So he goes in, and, and he has this victory over this other nation. And yet, if you look at verse 9, it says this, Saul and his men spared Agag's life. Now, he was the king, and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So he gets this message from God to conquer and to destroy, and he steps in, and he's like, yeah, well, I don't want that anyway. Sure, you can burn that, but this I want. This is the good stuff. I like This appeals to me. We should keep that, guys. Samuel comes to find Saul. He's like, did you do what God wanted? And, and uh, Saul's like, I sure did. Samuel says, how come I hear animals? And Saul's like, no. And then he says, he says well, uh, we save them to sacrifice to the Lord. Great idea. And Samuel's like, no, you missed it. You disobeyed. 
And we finally get to the reason why in verse 24, it says, Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. You see, Saul made his choices based on the things that appealed to him, the things that he wanted, the things that kind of met those physical needs, and what the people around him spoke into his life. And as we look at the life of Saul, we see that he just drifts into restricted airspace all the time. That's how he made his choices. Now, let's contrast that with the life of David. If you flip over a few chapters to chapter 24. Now, David wasn't perfect, but David chose wiser most of the time. Saul's still king at this moment, but David has been anointed king, and Saul knows it. And so Saul is reckless and out of control, and he's trying to kill David. As a matter of fact, he's killing people that have talked to David, and he's killing priests that have prayed with David. Saul knows that his time is short. And so he's chasing. And so he hears that David is at this certain place, and, and he begins uh, chasing him. And he takes 3,000 uh, like of his special forces, his best men, and he goes to hunt David. Now, verse 3 is where we'll pick it up in chapter 24. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, you know that place, um, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. It's in there. It's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemies into your power to do with as you wish. Now think about that. David's hiding. Saul's trying to kill him. And then Saul comes in to use the bathroom in the same cave David is. This has all the makings of a God story. It's a God moment. David's back there and he's going, well, well, God anointed me for this. I deserve this. God wants me to have this. This is what he's called me to. Everybody else around me is telling me that, man, this is the step that I need to take. And they're even saying, David, God said this is the step that you're supposed to take. And so here's what David does. He crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the King, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Fascinating, right? David had this conscience attack right there. And he's like, you don't... Replace what God has put into place. And he's God's anointed. You see, even when you think it's right, even when it feels right, even when everybody else around you is telling you that it's right, it doesn't mean that it's right. And David made his decision based on what God wanted, not what the people around him were telling him, not what felt good to him, not what appealed to him. But he chose based on God's plan. So how do we make good decisions? How do we distinguish between good and bad choices? What's the difference between Saul and David? I want to give you two quick things. The first is this. We need to listen more. We need to listen to God and his word more, because God's will never goes against his word. 
Oftentimes we listen uh, to what we want to hear or, or we listen for other people telling us certain things, but we need to listen better to God's word. You see, people who are making great choices are doing just that, listening to God and his word. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, Samuel went to the Lord for guidance. But in chapter 15, we find Saul afraid listening to the people. In chapter 23, we see David asking the Lord, should I go? In chapter 28, we have Saul who goes to this medium to see if she can raise the ghost of Samuel so he can ask Samuel's ghost some questions. People who are making good choices are listening to God and his word. And I know that there's times in our lives where we're so set on heading in a certain direction that we only listen for the thing that we want to hear that tells us to continue on in that direction. And once we hear that, nothing else matters. Yep, I've heard that and I want to keep going. But I'm saying this, we have to first listen to God's word. Now, I know that God's word doesn't give us clear and specific instructions for every circumstance in life. It does not tell you the exact name of the person that you're going to marry. It doesn't tell you where it is that you're going to college, right? It's not like, oh, God, where do I go to college? Wait, Isaiah 42, it says, go to the islands, Hawaii. <laughs> God's word told me, right? We know that, that that's not there, but, but you listen then in prayer, and you ask questions like, does this honor God? Is it consistent with his word? Have I sought wise counsel from other people around me who know me well? When we are faced with choices that shape us, or when we are faced with things that we had no choice over except how to respond to, are we listening well to the word of God? The second thing I would say is this. We need to look up. And by that, I mean we need to see the bigger picture because so often we get stuck in our current circumstances and we believe that the choice that we're making only affects the circumstance that we're in. But the reality is this. The decisions we make are directional. The decisions we make are pushing us one way or the other. And not just the one or two big decisions that we get every once in a while. All of our decisions are directional. And so we have to ask questions like, is this choice making me into the person that God wants me to be? And we have to stop making our choices based on the content of our, our current circumstances because it's bigger than that. We have to look up. I love the story of Eric Little. Eric Little was a Scottish athlete. He was kind of immortalized in the movie Chariots of Fire. Such a great movie. But he was slated to run in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And he was pretty much a lock to get the gold in the 100 meters. Several months before the Olympics happened, they sent out the schedule for the qualifying heats. And when he saw the schedule, he saw that his qualifying heat for the 100 was on a Sunday. And he said, I'm not going to run. And people went crazy. Are you kidding? And I look at that story honestly, too, and I'm like, what do you mean you're not going to run? You've done all this training. It's the Olympics. Go to Salem Alliance on Saturday night. <laughs> right? Guys, that's why we have Saturday night service. If you want to be in the Olympics on Sunday, you can do that. Right? Don't you look at that and you're just like, are you kidding me? This is the Olympics. It's, it's this one time. The Olympics doesn't happen all the time. You've trained. This might be the only time you get to do this. Eric Little said, the choice was easy. 
The choice was easy for me because I knew if I had chosen to cross that line, to break that boundary, how much easier it would have been for me to break the next boundary and the next boundary and the next boundary. No, the Sunday was set up as the Sabbath. I chose to honor God, and so I chose not to do it. Why? Because he saw that his decision wasn't just in his current circumstances, that it was setting him on a path. It was bigger than that. The choices that he was making were long-term choices. And too often, we keep our head down and we don't look up and we decide here. And we have excuses for it. I was reading an article in a Forbes magazine, which sounds cooler than it is. I don't really read Forbes magazine, but it was an article on ethics, and so it caught my attention. And look at this quote from this article. The road to hell and business failure, because it's Forbes magazine, is paved with extenuating circumstances. In business, this appears as the trap of marginal thinking. Companies fail because they apply their rules only most of the time and undervalue the risk of doing so. People do the same thing, break the law, cheat on a spouse, backstab a client, take just one drink, fudge the numbers, confuse the truth, because the risk appears manageable at first, but nothing maintains a steady state. If you can justify going against your principles even once, what's to stop you from doing it over and over? That's meaningful, right? That's saying you can't just look at this current circumstance you're in and just be like, oh, we can just fudge the numbers this time. Because that's setting you on a path. Guys, we're telling a story with our lives. Whether you want to or not, your life is telling a story. And you're telling that story to your family, to your kids, to your spouse, to your parents. Your life is telling that story. And what kind of story do you want to tell? What's the story that you're telling with your life? Because it matters. Now, we have this kind of 30,000-foot look at First and Second Samuel. We have the narratives from beginning to end, but we don't have those in our own life. But remember to look up. Remember the story that you're telling. I mean, think of David. David's king, and he's on the throne, right? And his grandkids come in. All the grandkids, he's got a lot of them, and they come in, and they gather around, and he loves this time. He's so excited. And they say, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us again. Tell us again how it is that you became king. And he's like, all right, kids, come on up. Gather around. I was hiding out in this cave. I was way in the back. And the current king, Saul, he came in to use the bathroom. And I snuck up behind him and knifed him. And now I'm king. Right? That's a terrible story. (laughs) And that's not the story that God had planned. David chose to do what honored God. He chose to listen to the principles, to the word of God. And he chose to see that, man, his story is bigger than just this one circumstance. And it's the same for us. We need to choose to listen better, and we need to choose to look up and see that our decisions are directional, and they are taking us someplace. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that we have in First and Second Samuel and, and the narrative and the choices that we see these characters making. God, I pray that as we study them and dive into them, that you would help us to choose better, to choose how to respond better, to choose things that honor you. And Jesus, we thank you for the choice that you made on our behalf. We thank you for the choice to sacrifice your life so that we could be forgiven. 
the choice to suffer so that we could live forever with you. And I pray that we would never take that lightly. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.